All right, let's pray and we'll get started tonight. Father, thank you for a, a good day, God. Thank you for the beautiful weather, for all your great blessings, God. I know it's for uh, a lot of us, it's been a hectic day. It's been sort of wild, sort of crazy. And Lord, coming in here, it's a, a chance for us to sit down a little bit and to relax, to catch our breath. And as we open up God's Word tonight and we study uh, the topic we have at hand, God, I just pray, Lord, we'd have open minds. God, we'd hear what your Word has to say, God. We'd be willing to discuss and hear uh, what you call very good. So, God, help us. Give us the wisdom we need. Give us discernment. God, give us understanding. And I pray, God, you just help us to understand and know how you created us and what you created us for. Father, I pray for all the things that are going on in each one of, us li- in each one of our lives. God, all of us have things that are uh, somewhat beyond our control, things that we're unsure of, things that we're worried about. And so, God, I pray right now, uh, just in the stillness we have before we open up the Word and talk, God, that you would speak. I pray that you would uh, help us to calm our hearts. Uh, whatever's going on, God, I, I pray that we would be able to trust you with it, God. Whatever it is, God, you are trustworthy. You are sovereign. God, you are good. So, God, help us to take the time we need, and, Lord, to give those things to you, God. And I pray, God, that we would have the wisdom, Lord, to wait on you until you tell us what to do, where to go, and how to do it. So help us tonight as we uh, open the word, as we talk, as we discuss those things that are important to us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have been through, this is week number eight. So we're three quarters of the way done, two thirds of the way done. We're more than 50% of the way done. Right. So tonight we're going to be talking about a topic called experiencing real intimacy. Can y'all think what the topic actually is if we had to boil it down to one word? It might have three letters in it. God, yes, God's going to be involved. Anybody else? Sex. Sex. Thank you, John. I knew f- from a three-letter guy over here you could actually get down to that, right? So, how often in the church have you heard someone preach, teach, or talk about sexual intimacy? It's about that much, right? Very, very quiet, right? Not a lot. Why do you think that is? It's uncomfortable, it's touchy, right? No pun in. You said you weren't going to say nothing now. Hold on. Yep, we're going to get you closer to that. Uh, should we talk about it as Christians? Why? Because God made it. Okay, Cole, thank you. That was, that was right in there, right? God made it. And how did he make it on the sixth day? Very good, right? Do y'all agree? Okay, so then why in the church? I mean, I grew, I've, been, I've grown up in church my entire life. The only thing I ever heard about sex in the church was that it was bad. That's all I ever heard. So why, were the, why was that tall thin? Don't do it. You're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed to do it. That's, That's what you teach your kids. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right. And then we say, okay, now. Go. Take off. Right. Enjoy. It's going to be great. And don't talk about it. Don't make you want to yeah. do it. Don't talk about it. Right. And so when we have a void, what happens in a void? Something always fills it, right? So what message do we have from the world about sex then? If the church is completely quiet and silent, What's the, tr- what's the world going to say? It's a distorted view of, of sex. It's a very unbiblical view of, of sex. And it's not, you know, it's, it's corrupt. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? They don't think it's any 
You have to speak louder that yeah. way everybody can hear you. They're like it's sleeping because we're not saying anything. Right. So it, they could just take it as, oh, okay, they're not saying anything. I'm still going to do it. So it's good for anybody at any point at any time. Do whatever you feel to be right. Consenting adults is fine. Right. Is what the world says. Mm-hmm. For now. Well, let's. Or anything goes. That rabbit trail we're not going to go down right now, okay? Because it's not. It might be bigger than a rabbit trail now. It's it's getting pretty big. So the problem we have is, I think I want to just echo what Tammy said here. When we say something's bad and bad, and we never explain in depth what we're talking about, and then we say, oh, all of a sudden now it's good. Can your brain switch like that, that quick? No. no. So we're actually setting young people up to have issues later on in life because we're not teaching the whole truth of God's word. Is it a comfortable thing to talk about? Didn't feel like coming in here tonight talking about it. I'll just be honest with you. I really didn't. I, we have, we've been talked about it at our men's study, and I feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it with a group of guys. Still not my favorite topic to throw out there, but it's like, hey, it's something we should talk about. And the reason is, is, you know, what uh, the culture that's happened, what's been created, is that we don't understand the actual meaning of what sex is and how God commanded it, how he did it. So we're going to actually go through and talk about that tonight. As uncomfortable as it is, it's good for us. How many of y'all like talking about the direct sin in your life to a group of people? Don't like that three-letter word either, right? Should we, though, at some point sit down and talk to each other about it? The Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another, right? We have a lot of topics we like to skim on or not talk at all about. And when we have those and we have a void, we don't talk about them. Sometimes, guess what Satan does? That is the opportunity for him to twist, to distort, to deceive us. And if we don't do it well as adults, what are we going to do with the generation coming behind us? Even more worse, right? So let's talk about it a little bit tonight. So who created sex? God did. And God designed it for both spouses. A satisfying sex life is the result of a satisfying marriage relationship. The ultimate purpose of sex is to bring glory to God and to extend the dominion he commanded us towards in the beginning. So uh, in the men's study that we're doing on Saturday, I'm going to call on some of y'all guys, and we're going to talk about just a little bit about what we've learned there. Uh, God created man and woman to fill, subdue the earth. Correct? That's Genesis. I think we talked about that week one or week two, right? So in order to do that, in order to fill the earth, what do you have to do? If something's empty, multiply. you have to multiply, right? Can you multiply it on your own? No. So God created sex to where we could multiply and extend dominion over all the earth. Quote here from a guy named Ben Patterson. It says, sex is good because the God who created sex is good. And God is glorified greatly when we receive his gift with thanksgiving and enjoy it the way he meant for it to be enjoyed. So let's talk before we get to the scripture tonight. I also want to talk real quick like, so sex, right? We have sex is to be between a man and a woman that have been joined in marriage. Can everybody agree with that? If you don't agree with that, guess what? You've got a problem with God because that's how he designed it, correct? So anything outside of that, we could go back to what we said earlier, right? It's what then? It's not very good. It's it's sin. I don't like. I think that's even better to say bad, right? Let's not say bad. It's sin. If we look in the scriptures, what would the term for that be? Fornication, I think, is a great word. I don't know. We don't use that enough in, in, in America. I think we should say that more often, right? Fornication, right? We have issues with that. So we have to make sure we understand the context of what sex is. It's between a man and a woman that both have been uh, married 
in front of God, and it's best if they're both Christians, but guess what? We can't necessarily control that, but it's supposed to be between a man and a woman in marriage. Okay, let's, talk, let's go to Proverbs real quick. Like Proverbs 5. And I was going to go to the Song of Solomon and stay in there, but I'm just going to assign that as reading homework for all of you for later, I think would be good. Okay. So here's what I'd like to do real quick, like if it's all right. I would like for us to go through the entire, oh, pardon me. I read Proverbs and said Psalms. Have you ever did that? I got my PS and my PR together. It's Proverbs 5. Did I say Psalm? I said Proverbs so I lie, I'm lying to myself. I'm even deceiving my own self. Why? Wow. So you did it, Maddie. You said Psalms. Okay, now, Proverbs 5. 5, we're gonna, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Honey, do you want to read the whole chapter? You sure? Okay, thank you, dear. Okay, now I started off with just two verses in there, but as I read through this, I thought it's important to go through and actually start at the beginning of it. Because the title of mine, it says, The Peril of Adultery. What does peril mean to y'all? Danger. Danger, right? So it's saying what? There's a flashing light saying, beware, right? We need to make sure we understand that. And then he's telling here, he's telling his children, right, as we're supposed to be doing, pay attention to their wisdom and understanding and discretion and knowledge. Interesting that they're all four put there together and they're broken out separately. I think we had a long talk about that a while back because y'all guys tripped me up on the difference between them. We had to figure it out a little bit. And then he goes in and talks about uh, what a uh, relationship looks like outside of marriage. Uh, it talks about the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, what she says. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she's bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet are going to go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. So we start on a path. And we don't recognize what the end of the path is. 
it seems good at the beginning, but we don't have enough discretion and discernment to look far enough to see where that goes. And then he tells us again, hey, my children, listen, do not let the words of my mouth depart from you. Remove your way far from her. How far is that? As far as you need to go. I think one of the things that we do often, hey, there's uh, no seats right here. I'm sorry, I was wanting to point you out. But there's seats right here. Y'all go sit there. Uh, it says, remove your way far from her. When we talk about sin, how far do we go away from sin that we have issues with? Do we stay right next to it and think we'll be all right? We need to be as far away as we need to be. For some people, maybe you can do it a little bit quick, uh, closer, but some of us need to be far, far away. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't go anywhere near it, lest you give, and I, want it, I think it's really interesting the terminology he uses, lest you give your honor to others. What do y'all think that means, to give your honor to somebody else? What is your honor? Your honor? Your integrity. Your integrity. Anybody else got another one to go with an honor? Your strength. So you're taking that and you're actually giving that to somebody else when you step outside of the bonds of matrimony. It says also you give your years to the cruel one. And I think these are very interesting here. It says, aliens will be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. So let's take this again. I want to go just real quick. Like You have a man and a woman in marriage, and there's something happens, right? There's an adulterous relationship, and something happens here, right? And typically, what happens then for the one who's stepped out on the other one, right? There's divorce, right? That's what happens in our country, 58% of all marriages, I believe, somewhere in that range. That's not just exclusive outside of the church. It's almost exactly the same statistic inside the church. So obviously we've got some issues, right? And it's interesting because when that happens, this relationship happens and that breakup happens, we have this aliens being filled with their wealth and laborers going to the house of a foreigner. What happens in relationship with that happens? We have, uh, what is it called, when a woman wants money from a man in that relationship? After that? Alimony and child support. That's not what it says here, and I'm not saying it's the same thing, but is it not interesting that some of the things that we see today go right with what's going on? So, and then I think it's really bad down here where he talks about how he was on the verge of total ruin and his flesh and his body's consumed, right? What you do will impact you tremendously. It'll impact your mind, your body, your spirit. And then that's verses 1 through 14. It's really describe, describing what happens when we don't follow God. And the title I have over there is, again, The Peril of Adultery. That's what it starts at the beginning with. Verses 15 through 23 flip the script and give us insights for when we follow the wisdom, the understanding, and the discretion and knowledge pointed out there in verses 1 through 14. So it says here, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Now he's talking about this, going after this adulterous woman, and his body's having issues, and he's not listening, he's not inclined his ear, he's on the verge of total ruin, and then he flips and says that he should drink water from his own cistern and running water from your own well. What do y'all think that means? Stay in your house. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a good one, right? We, we, he can, continues that a little bit more, yeah? Find refreshment at home. Find refreshment at home. I, I like the way he put it better than you, John. I like that better. Is that all right? Okay. So oftentimes, are we seeking fulfillment in our home, in our relationship? Are we seeking it outside? Oftentimes, I want to say, you don't have to leave your home to seek it from outside your home. One of the things we could do is, I think this thing, hold on, I think it's this button right here. It actually turns it off. 
I know y'all are probably shocked. It, you know, I thought you only knew it went off when it didn't have any more power, right? No, you can actually turn it off and do something there where you don't have to deal with it, right? So seek what you need at home. Don't look out away from it. It says, let them be on your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. And so uh, I think when this is written, is it written to a, a, by a young person? When he says the wife of your youth, what is he describing there then? He's going back and remembering how that was 20, 30, for some of y'all maybe longer than that, right? I can only remember about 28 years, I guess, right now, right? 28 years ago, rejoicing with the wife of youth. And what that's saying is you need to remember you might not be satisfied right now and you might have issues right now, but if you look back, you can remember what drew you together and what God's done in the meantime. Oftentimes, we don't look back and remember fondly. Man, look at where God has brought us from. We want to do what? We want to disappear and say, hey, there's something better on the other side of the fence. You ever seen a, a cow dip their neck all the way around barbed wire to get some grass, and there's grass right there where they're at? Everything looks better when we don't think we can have it. And we need to make sure we understand that's not what's best for us. Again, we talked about marriage between a man and a woman that's been married, right? I'll, I'm going to say that maybe three more times tonight, just so everybody knows that that's a man and a woman being married. So we're supposed to let uh, rejoice with the wife of your youth. And then it gives us an analogy here of a loving, dear, graceful doe, Breast satisfies all times. I won't get into the thing with men and breast. I won't do that here in front of everybody. But we should be satisfied at all times with what God has provided us. Can we agree with that? All times we're to be satisfied. Does that mean just when we feel like it? No, suck it up, buttercup. You're to be satisfied at all times. And then it's interesting. He transitions here. It says, for why should you, my son, be enraptured? When it says enraptured there, what does that mean to y'all when it says enraptured? I think of the rapture, right? Jesus is coming in. Take this way, but be enraptured, right? It means the word caught up. We completely lose vision for where we're at right now. Something we see out there cuts off our vision from anything else. So we have to be careful with what we're looking at then, right? Fellas, ladies, we have to be careful what we're looking after, who we're looking after with. We need to make sure where our vision is because we can be enraptured. And then from there, from enraptured, we go to embrace. There's never somebody who gets up in the morning, a man or a woman, and says, you know what? I'm going to ruin my whole life. I've been married X amount of time. I'm going to go out the door and do this. No, it starts with a little step, and you have a conversation with somebody. You reconnect with somebody on Facebook. You just, we're just going to catch up a little bit, just the two of us. Never, ever do that. If you're married, there's only one woman I need to be alone with, and that's that woman over yonder. We need to be very careful because those little steps are a path that leads you to the point where you're like, oh, well, this just feels right. I don't want to get into feelings. You know, we don't want to go down that trail right now, but we have to be very careful to be proactive on the front end because when we're enraptured, the next step is embrace. Go to James where it talks about temptation, right? You have desire, and the next thing you know what happens. you got a hook in your lip, and you're on the shore. Be Careful, be aware. And then it says here at the end, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. What you're thinking, God knows. Don't think that you're at home and you've got whatever and it's only you. It don't work like that. Is God sovereign? Is he sovereign? Yeah. What does it mean when it says he's sovereign? He's over everything. He's omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. He's omnipotent. I started to say omnipotent. I got, I got that right there. Omnipotent. What does that mean? And what's the other one? 
Thank you. I, I done forgot that last one. Yes. So he knows it all. Oftentimes, we think it's just me and me and me. It's me, myself, and I, but me, me, me works too. And it's not. God knows. And what we're doing here is we're establishing a path. It doesn't take much for your emotions to be away from the wife or husband that you have. And the next thing, when your emotions are caught, the rest of you goes too. Be careful. And what does it say here? Wow, I said that and the verse is, is awesome, right? It says, uh, his own iniquities do what? Entrap the wicked man. It's like you set a bear trap in the woods and then you go back out there the next day and stick your foot in it. Right? That's what you're doing. You're caught in the cords of your sin. <coughs> Notice what it says here. You're going to die for lack of instruction and the greatness of folly go astray. Be very careful here what we're doing, right? 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, God offers to bless male procreation when it's confined to the wife. And again, in the two verses here in 18 and 19, it says all times and always. Intimacy in marriage is designed for every season of life. Have a small child. It's designed for every season of life. Doesn't matter. It's designed for every season of your life. And we have to be diligent to seek it in every season. Oftentimes we have seasons in marriage and it's not as easy. If it was easy, the Girl Scouts would have cookies up here right now. Life is not easy. Being married is one of the most difficult things you will ever do. Young people, if you're not married, I'm just giving you a front end. Hey, it's tough. You think it's, oh, it's going to be emotional fairy tale in the Hallmark Channel. Turn that thing off. It ain't. It is difficult. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. The hardest thing you'll ever do is follow Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the hardest thing you're going to do. And the next thing is when you have a, a wife or a husband. And then what comes after that? Not easy either. Guess what? Should we want everything to be easy? Is that not the American dream now? Right? Lay on a beach and have people bring you something? That's not real. God made us to have a challenge in front of us. He made us to go after things. Again, having dominion means for us to do what? We're looking for a challenge. We're looking for that next thing for us to go do. And oftentimes, we just want to take it easy. No, the only easy plan I've got that I've got ahead of me is one day when we get to heaven. And I don't think it's going to be necessarily easy, but it's going to be awesome. I, I will talk about that again. All right, I'm still on page one. I, did, I thought I was going to get done really early tonight, so that's good. All right, so three reasons for sex from the Bible. Oneness before God. That act and how God did it creates two humans to be one, right? The two shall become one flesh. Number two, for pleasure. That's one of the reasons God created sex is for our pleasure in the context of marriage. And then another reason is for procreation. If you don't have a, a, a woman and a man and they have a child, eventually, guess what? Human civilization ends. So here's a homework assignment. Go read Song of Solomon. Take some time. That's something to really... Look through, because, you know, we're like, well, the Bible don't say anything. Yes, it does. We just have to be, have discernment, and we have to go and look, right? So God gave us sex as a gift to explore within marriage, and the Song of Solomon is in the Bible to ensure we know that the God of the Bible designed sex, and he designed it how? Very good. That's what he said at his creation at the end of it. A goal of sexual intimacy is to see that your spouse has a safe, fulfilling experience as well to enjoy your relationship with each other. Sex is not to be given as a favor or seen as an entitlement, though. That is not your right. And I think one of the key things that we have issues with, and again, it goes back to how we've been raised and what we've been told about, we need to learn how to communicate our expectations for sex. 
One of the biggest issues we have is people don't talk about it. We don't talk about what's going on, what we like, what we don't like, what's problems, what's going on in your mind, all these things. And oftentimes we have issues with it because we don't communicate. Communication is one of the biggest things we need to have in all areas of your life. Not just about what you're spending money on, spending time with, but in every area of your life. Some ways to communicate about sex is a cut in your marriage. Number one, you should pray about it. And you go, hold on, I'm going to pray to God about, yes, did he design it? Does he know what's going on? I can't talk to him about that. Come on now. I mean, what's, what's our view of God then? He can't handle it? Come on, we need to think about it a little bit. Number two, we need to wait for the right moment. We need to be understand. Uh, we're supposed to live with our wives in what kind of way? Understanding way, right? We're supposed to understand. We need to wait for the right moments. We need to be clear about what we like and what we don't like. Again, talking about communication. We need to have good communication. And then the last one, we need to lighten the mood. Don't be so serious. Sometimes we take everything to the nth degree. That's, we don't need to. Be, don't be so serious about everything in some ways. We need to lighten up a little bit. And uh, sexual problems are generally not a symptom of another problem. When there's an issue within a couple, sex is more like a thermometer in marriage than a thermostat. Typically, there's some kind of issue that's going on, and that affects everything else within that relationship. It measures, sex measures the health of your intimacy rather than sets the intimacy level. True intimacy happens when you open up areas of your, your life to your spouse that are not readily available to others. All right. The next thing we want to look at real quick like is why sex is important to a wife and then why sex is important to a husband. Now, I didn't write this. It came out of a book. So if I'm wrong, um, might not be you, but it's, it's generalized, right? Can we be generalized here? Okay. So sex important to a wife. Physical intimacy and romance cultivate emotional intimacy with your wife and give her a sense of security and stability in your relationship and for her as a woman. If there's one thing I can tell you after being married for quite a long time, security and stability is something that she needs. I don't necessarily think about it. I don't look around. You know, I do look around when we're out, and I'm like, okay, threat may be over here. Like, I could look at Jerry and go, that's a potential threat right there. But <laughs> nobody else that much, right? But for a woman, having security and stability equals her being safe. She feels where she should be. If there's something like that, fellas, that's, that's an issue. We need to make sure we understand that a woman needs to have security and stability in their relationship. Um, number two, when a man shows sexual interest in his wife, she feels pursued and desired. Uh, when romance, tenderness, and sex are not shared, a sense of loneliness can result in emotional and sexual temptation. When we're not doing the, the side that we have, there's a potential that she can say, hey, you know what, he's not interested, and then talk to somebody, and again, that path starts, right? We need to make sure that we're feeling the communication and all the other areas that go with it. For most men who lack sexual desire, the primary reason is a sense of rejection by their wife. Ladies, men fear failure. If you communicate that we're a failure, guess what we're going to act like? A failure. What did you say? Okay, I thought you said something else. I was like, what? Yeah. So it's important to understand that most of the time it's not about you. It's because they feel, men feel rejected. If we feel like we can't do it, we have issues because that's what we've been made to do. We've been made and designed to fix things, to work, to have dominion. And we need to understand that as men as well. A couple reasons why sex is important to a husband. A man's sexuality. <clears throat> I got choked up there. A man's sexuality is the very essence of his manhood, and it's primarily expressed through sex. Because why? God designed us that way. 
Temptation can get a foothold when a husband's needs remain unmet. We need to make sure we understand there's issues out there. We need to make sure that uh, a man, un, you know, a woman and a man's needs are met. Safety and security result in being naked and not ashamed as Adam and Eve did in the garden. When we have that in a relationship, and I'm not talking about necessarily running around the house naked. When you've got kids, it's difficult to do. I'm talking about <laughs> emotionally. When they feel like they can come and talk to you about anything, and you're not going to automatically fix it, the church is there to communicate with them. Guess what? That's about both ways. We need that. If there's un, un, unmet expectations there, that causes wedges and that causes issues later on. All right. Whew. Starting to sweat up here a little bit, Joe. It's like eating hot sauce. These verses tell us why and what we are attracted to in a woman. And one of the greatest blessings of a man's sex drive is the urge to become more than himself. A man's sex drive drives him towards headship, towards responsibility, and towards one flesh. This desire, when submitted to God's design and created order, seeks to extend God's rule and fill the earth with more image bearers. So, if it's not good for a man to be alone, which is what the scripture said right there, what issues do men face when they're alone? Temptation. Temptation. What else? If you have a whole bunch of men with no women around, what's going to happen? How many, I mean, I only had one son, but I know some families that had three and four sons, and typically they destroy things, right? I mean, right? Well, thank you, Cole, for bringing that up. You're correct, yes. I wasn't going to point that out necessarily, right? There's no, if, if you leave a bunch of young men with no wisdom, no discernment there, what's going to happen? Nothing good. Mischief. There you go, Eric. I, swear, I wasn't thinking of mischief. Yes. It's not going to be good, right? So they, God understood it wasn't good for them to be alone, so he made a wife for them to be there. So it's good for a man to marry. We won't get into 1 Corinthians, which we talked about Saturday about that. We'll continue and I'll finish. God designed the relationship to build households, communities, and ultimately dominion over the created order. This is a bond that was meant to be in every sense and in every area, not just, fit, not just in the physical. Sex is the engine that creates fruitful community, and it's central in all of life and all of Scripture. A household is a miniature world. A man and a woman, God puts them together, and they start doing what? Fulfilling what God's mandate is, right? It's a miniature world. Every household is one atom in the substance A-T-O-M, not A-D-A-M, just make sure. Atom, you know, the little things that nucleus, yep. It's one atom in the substance of God's kingdom. Through households... Societies are established. Culture begins and emanates from the household. The next generation of men and women are shaped and trained to leave their homes and join themselves to a new wife, and the process does what? Starts over again. Dominion goes from individual through the household. One man alone achieves very little. We can look in there and the scripture that says, what about one person by themselves? Pretty tough, but when you put two in there, it's even better. And we have three, I think we're where we need to be. You can go look that up and Google that later. As we build households, we extend a legacy for the next generation to follow the model that God designed. As households multiply like this, cities are formed, governments are established. Sex is the engine of God's dominion. It's what drives dominion throughout the earth. And it's the means by which he designed man to establish heaven on earth. So some things to take away tonight. I will seek to follow God's design for sex. What does it say in the scriptures? Who is it for? Who is it not for? Not that it's bad, it's that we're waiting for God. We're waiting for us to be prepared to have this once we're there, right? 
I commit to working through the issues that may be inhibiting a fully satisfying sexual relationship in my marriage. If you've got issues, you should commit to working through it. Don't isolate yourselves over in the corner and say nobody else has did what I, nobody's had the issues I've had. That's not true. You need to be committed to that woman because you did what? Or that man. You said, I marry them. I have a covenant relationship with them. Work through whatever relation, uh, issues you have to make sure that you're doing the things that God wants you to have. And in, uh, to pursue a satisfying sex life, I will also make the overall health of our marriage a high priority. Oftentimes, if we're not careful in our relationships, and I can give you a testimony on this one, we will uh, put our relationship with our wife at the very, very, our husband at the very end. Our job, our kids, our church, our other things come in front of that relationship. And aside from Jesus and following Jesus, the number one relationship you, ha you should have is with your spouse. And when you put everything on the back burner, sometimes guess what happens on the back burner? Things either get burnt or they don't get cooked enough, right? You gotta make sure the heat's modulating in there. So make sure that you've got the right attitude towards your wife. Whew, man, thank you, Lord. I got done with that. All right, let's pray. We'll be going to small groups. Father, thank you for sex. God, thank you that you said it's very good. God, thank you for every part of how you created it, God. Because, God, you designed us. God, you knit us together. God, you know what's best for us, and you know what's not best for us. So, God, help us as we take some time tonight to talk about this subject that nobody's really comfortable talking about, God. In our, in our culture, there's just been such a stigma attached to it. I pray tonight, God, that we would set aside that stigma. God, we'd set aside that negative connotation that we have, and we would talk about uh, sex. We'd talk about the understanding of why it is, what it's for, and, God, how you designed it. And, God, we would be willing to talk to others about how it's a process. It's not something we know and understand and through the circles and cycles of life. It's tough. But, God, help us to be uh, open, to be honest, to be transparent about the things going on in our life, God. And I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified, and I pray we would have a better understanding of that topic in our lives. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.